0: Hi, and welcome to Girl Highly Favored. I'm your host, Veronica Edwards. This show is about overcoming childhood trauma, pain, self-sabotage. It's beauty through the ashes. It's spiritual self-development. So come on, listen in, and let's see where the Holy Spirit guides us. one of my testimony, I shared my parents short and tragic love story that ended with my dad accidentally being shot and killed in a hunting accident at the age of 18 and my 17 year old mother grieving the entire time that she carried me. I spoke about me being angry with God and with the man who shot my father and I lost a sense of belief, a sense of belief in God and there being any justice. My mother had said that the man who shot my dad was charged in his death and that he was a young military man who ironically had a wife who was also pregnant with their first baby. She'd tell me the story of how the charges against him were ruled accidental and that he was let go and that after court, her and him took a walk together. She said that She told him she wanted him to go on with his life and to not let what happened haunt or destroy him. And she let him know that she forgave him. And she seemed to expect or feel that I should do the same, but I didn't. I often thought of him throughout my life. I wondered if his baby was a girl. Did he have a daughter? Was he a good father? I'd angrily, sarcastically think, did he have a savings account put to the side for my first car? What about my college tuition? Because he took away the man that would have done those things for me. When my dad died at 18, he was still legally a ward of the state until he turned 21 years old, which, of course, would never happen. He was 15 years old when his parents had been separated, and his mother was the one that had left the home. She showed up unexpected one day, and there was an altercation between my grandfather, my dad's father, and his mother, and it got physical. And they were out in the front yard, and the neighbors became onlookers. And my dad ran inside the house, and he grabbed his hunting rifle and he stood up on the front porch and he shot one time up in the air as an attempt to scare his dad so that he would stop hitting his mother. Although he was not aiming at anyone, he ended up shooting his dad in the head and it killed him. Every witness acclaimed that he did not aim the gun at his dad but upwards as to shoot a warning shot My dad had never been in any trouble before that incident. And although the judge believed that it was accidental, he decided to make an example out of my dad. And he sent him to a somewhat new detention center around two hours away from home. The judge stated that he could not have every teenager in in town picking up a firearm when their parents got into altercations. So yeah, irony and justice or unjust in my young mind that my dad at fifteen could be punished for an accidental death. But three years later the man who accidentally would shoot and kill him would walk away free. I know my mom expected me to forgive this man from her story of their walk and her own forgiveness. But that also fueled the fire within me because I felt like she was taking away my right to feel how I felt. I could not know what it was for her to be a 17-year-old pregnant widow, but I had empathy for her, yet she expected me to behave like she did with her act of forgiveness when she could not know in my mind and heart. What it was to have a father, I'd never meet. I'd never know what his voice sounded like. I'd never know what would make him smile or laugh or what his laughter would sound like. I had nothing but a handful of other people's memories. Because my mother was emotionally unavailable and had many mental illnesses, that today would be labeled, and I'm no doctor, but I knew her for 54 years of my life. And if I had to label them, I would label them narcissist, obsessive, a compulsive disorder, OCD, control issues, and more than likely bipolar. And I don't say these things with any disrespect towards my mother. I loved her through it all. And I have forgiven her for it all. She would marry a third time when I was in third grade. Husband number three. Stepdad number two. He had been a neighbor of hers when she was a child. Her family um, owned a country feed and seed store and they lived in the back of it. Her and her siblings. And I would live there too after my dad's death and she moved back home. Her mother was a woman whom I would call Nanny and the only unconditional love I would experience as a youth. And she had moved into a new mobile home park when my mom married for the third time. And shortly after, we would follow and I would grow up one street away from her. Anyone who grew up with me or attended school with me always remembers me and my middle sister for wearing dresses to school every single day. My mom and husband number three had another child, another girl, another sister. When she reached the age to start school, she attended a private school. It was the same one that my mom's oldest sister and that went to the church, the one that was religious, I talked about in part one, my baby sister attended that school, and I used to beg my mom, please send me to private school too, because I was being picked on relentlessly because of those dresses, but she would say we couldn't afford it, and she would talk about the girls that wore jeans with high heel shoes because those It was in the 70s, and the candy high heel shoes that just came out with the wooden wedged heels. And I wanted a pair of those so bad, and the girls would be wearing, you know, Converse tennis shoes and jeans and baseball style t-shirts with Van Halen on them, and I'd be in my polyester dresses down to my knees with knee-high white nylon socks and my black shiny Patent and leather Mary Janes on still in the 7th and 8th grade, and I was bullying. I was the last kid picked for anything that was any kind of sport. Even, there was a game back then, I don't know if anybody younger today would know that game but it was called Red Rover, Red Rover send whoever over and the other kid would just come run over and try to break through the line of kids holding each other's hands they wouldn't even want me for that so I'd be the last kid standing there after everyone had been picked and the teacher would have to assign which side I was going to go on and I knew they didn't want me then because of all the moaning and groaning that went on They still did not want me on their team. And my middle sister, she was more of a tomboy the whole time. I think that's how she kind of coped with everything that was going on. She'd be the one on the bus on the way home always gonna get in a fight when we'd get off the bus. I mean and I'd stand there worried about her and then it got to a point where I would just walk home anyway. She was always fighting and but her and I would be the ones that my mom would beat. We would get beaten with the bells. so anytime we did anything and we I don't think that we were bad children when we were little. We just lived in a very strict home. So, you could get beat for literally anything. You didn't talk back. You did your chores. You didn't get in trouble in school. I mean, but we were still being beat. It seemed like all the time with that belt for something. And my mom was not allowed to beat my baby sister. Because her dad was still in the picture. And her dad would not allow my mother to beat her. Although, I'm not going to say that she didn't suffer any abuse because when he wouldn't be around, she may not have gotten beat with the belt, but she'd get slapped in the mouth or be talking. She would be talked to harshly and still get enough verbal and emotional, somewhat mental abuse. She just didn't get the beatings we got we didn't have any friends once my mother allowed a little girl from the neighborhood to come in and play with me <laughs> but when the little girl said she needed to use the bathroom my mother made her go home she told her she couldn't use our bathroom she'd have to she could go home and use her bathroom and then she could come back the little girl never came back and we had gotten a three to four foot above ground pool one summer. We were the only kids in the neighborhood that had a pool that size anyway. And um, so we lived beside the playground. And so there was a chain link fence that separated our yard from the playground. And there would be uh, six kids you know or so lined up at the fence with their little fingers inside the chain links and they'd have their bathing suits on and have their towels with them and My mom never let one of them come over. She would sit on the back deck and she would say things like the nerve of their parents. They're gonna send those kids with their bathing suits on and their towels in tow, like I'm gonna let them come over here. The moment something would happen to one of them or they would drown in the pool, they'd be wanting to sue me for everything I got. And not one of them got to get in the pool. However, on the other side of our neighborhood, there was that one family, and these kids probably got picked on more than we did because they were like old school Pentecostal religions. So they were the ones that never, they didn't wear makeup, they never cut their hair, they didn't wear jewelry, they wore dresses all the time too. Like even worse off actually, and I don't know if they thought so, I don't know what happened behind closed doors in their house, if they were living the same abuse on many levels, but they were able to come over and get in our pool once, and they wore their culottes and their T-shirts as they swam and played around in the pool. At least my sister and I were allowed to wear a bathing suit. And I was kept away from everyone on my dad's side of the family. So I only had like maybe a handful of memories of my dad's mom throughout the years. And uh, his sister, she was, his youngest sister, I think she was like 10 years old when he was killed, but um, I was kept away from all of them. And my mother would make comments all the time and she would say that uh, they drank and they, were, they drank, and they smoked, and um, they were with men, free with men, and that my father, would if he had lived, he would have never allowed me to be around them or that, and that they were nothing but trash. And then as I got older, <laughs> she would make comments to me, and those comments would be like, I kept you away from those people, and you turned out to be just like, So, in my mind, not just in my mind, she was calling me trash. If my makeup was not what she found appropriate, or the one time I wore feather earrings, I was told to take them off or take that makeup off, go wash your face, you look like a whore. I was a virgin. I didn't even know what a whore was. And once, I remember one time um, being at the mall in a store, and uh, I, a girl from school was there, and I introduced her to my mom, and I thought this girl was so pretty. And as soon as that girl walked away from us, my mom said that I was forbidden to be around that girl ever again and she better not ever find out that I'm around her that that girl looked like a whore and she could tell that girl was nothing but a whore and I had best not let her find out that I was had anything to do with her or was around her so we were my middle sister and I were often threatened at the dinner table my mother would often hold up a knife or forks and threaten to stab us with them and even though we sit at the dinner table every night together as a family and it was funny because my middle sister she was eight like 18 months younger than me and my stepfather he'd be sitting at the head of the table and he was a big man he was over six foot tall he was you know pretty big and he would sit there and butter his bread and he would butter like three, four pieces of bread. And my middle sister would count how many pieces of bread and she would tell my mom like, he's eating four pieces of bread. And it would make him so mad. And there was so much that happened around our ta- our family dinner tables that I think I could have been labeled with PTSD <laughs> because when i was grown and had kids of my own for a long time i didn't own a table i didn't want to sit around a table like there was nothing good that ever happened at our family dinners not just us our intimate family there might have been dinners that were faked out when other family members were around but just the dinners that we ate every night I did not have a table for years. And when I did get a table, um, it was for decoration. It might've been like something cheap that came along with the living room suit that I bought or something, but it was for decoration. It, we never set it, and I never sat at the table with my children and ate. They either went and took their plates to their room and ate while they watched TV, or we sat at the coffee table together in the living room and would watch TV and eat. We never sat at a table and ate, and that, had to do with the things that happened in my childhood around a family dinner table. And my my middle sister and I would spend many nights being sent to bed without dinner. It was so early that the sun would still be up for hours. And I remember one time um, before my mom actually married um, husband number three, stepdad number two, that's what I'm just going to call him, and um, and we were living in the apartment still, and she had become the manager of those apartments, and so she had a key to everything, and one night, my sister and I, we were in our room sleeping. We had little twin beds across the room from each other, and he came in the room, and he woke us up, and he woke us up real excited, and he was like, girls, girls, get up, get up, get up. He's like, and we're like waking up, and we're like, what? You know, like, what? And and thinking something happened, and he's like, no, everything's good. He's like, go get your bathing suits. Go put your bathing suits on. We're going to the pool. He's like, your mom's at the pool waiting for us. Come on, get your bathing suits on. And My sister and I, neither one got out of that bed. Other little kids may have jumped up and ran and got their bathing suits and started getting their bathing suits on. Her and I looked at each other from across the room and didn't move. He kept on and on and on excitedly telling us, it's okay, it's okay, get your bathing suits on. We're going to the pool. Your mom's already opened the pool up. She's at the pool waiting for us. We never moved. We stayed in that bed. And the next thing, my mom come busting out of our bedroom closet, laughing, telling him by his, calling him by his name and saying, I told you, my girls wouldn't go with you. And we wouldn't have went with him. Neither one of us moved. We were scared. That We were scared. We knew better than to do, than to go with him anywhere. It didn't matter what he had told us was happening. Neither one of us, without her coming in that room, would have walked out of that room with him. So, I um, remember back in the trailer now, when um, one time... She stood at the front door as I was getting ready to leave uh, to walk out the door to go to school. And uh, she opened it up with one hand. She had her right hand on on the door handle to open up, to push the screen door open as I was walking out. And right as I passed by her to get ready to walk through it, she took her left fist and punched me in my back as hard as she could in the middle of my back. And the tears, cause and she said, she punched me in my back and she said, roll your eyes at me again. And I, I didn't even know I had rolled them at her, but I could have um, in my 50s and I still roll my eyes. But I didn't even realize that I had rolled them at her, but that's how I walked out the door to go to school that morning. And I was fighting back the tears, walking down to the bus stop down the street because I was already being picked on and the last thing I wanted to do was get there and be crying. I had already had kids put a dead rat on my books one time in the bus stop. I had been tripped coming off the bus. I mean, these kids could not stand me. (laughs) And, I mean, I'm walking around looking like Marsha Brady while they're looking like they're getting ready to go to the next rock concert. And... It was just relentless. The, the teasing was relentless. And I, I had one boy, I, I mean, I, I'd be called, you know, the, the Jesus freak and told a to curtsy in front of the whole class. And one boy, uh, I was in band, and I played the clarinet, and he played the trumpet. And so I was on the last seat of the clarinet row. He's on the first seat of the trumpet row. And he would say things like, I'll, I'll give you... or $20 or something if you wear a pair of pants to school on Friday. And I mean, I'm a kid. Sometimes I wanted that money. I'd be thinking, I never had money. So I'd be thinking, man, I wish I could wear pants to school on Friday so I could just get the money. But I would have never chanced that. I was scared of her. She told us that she had people at the school watching us and that the women that worked in the office at that school would call her, that they knew to call her at work if they saw us come to school with a pair of pants on and that if she ever got that phone call that we would be sorry. So we knew what that meant. And as a child, we would visit my father's grave quite often and he never had a a tombstone or he had a little tiny thing for a while. It was almost like a bicycle license plate that had his name on it. And uh, that was about it. And then he never had anything else on there. She always told me when I got older that her and I would go in together and we would get something and put on there. And um, so there was nothing there. So she started saying when I was around 15 years old that when she died, that she was going to have a private burial and there would be a closed casket and that no one was going to be there, including us, her children. And I, I mean, I, for a while, when she first started saying that, like, I'd be like, you know, it always hurt me, don't get me wrong. I mean, even when I was older and she said it, like, it would still hurt me that my own mother didn't want me to attend her funeral. But when I was a younger, a 15-year-old girl... I was thinking, you know, like, asking her, like, Mom, why don't you want us there? And she'd say, I don't want anyone there. And that she would have it all arranged before she died so that her wishes would be carried out. And um, she said that she wouldn't have people at her funeral looking over her and talking, that people only come to your funeral all these people will show up. She's like, they just want to see what you look like so they can talk about you. None of these people are in your life when you're alive. And she would not have that when she died. So to say the least, my childhood was a little traumatizing. And the only comfort or love that I had was when I could spend time with my nanny. And I spent a lot of time with her as much as I could. I'd get home from school and do my change my clothes and do my chores as fast as I could and then call my mom at work and ask if it was okay could I walk to my nanny's house and I'd walk over there and I loved the time that I could spend with her and so if I couldn't spend time with her I read and I would keep my nose in a book and I loved reading because it became my escape I could escape in the the stories that I read. I remember the first time that I read the word melancholy. And I felt that word in my soul. I, I didn't even have to look it up. I mean, I'm sure it's in the way that it was written in the book as well, that I knew what it meant. But it was, I felt that word, and I knew that, and I believed I was I was a melancholy child. I had been a melancholy baby in my mother's womb, and as I got older and you know puberty hit, I was you know becoming an attractive young woman, and I started to be flattered by boys and their attention and flirting, and I had already experienced being molested. Uh, husband number three's dad when I was younger around 10, 11 years old he started molesting um, me and my cousin and that was his real that was his daughter's daughter and he would molest both of us in a shed out in the backyard and uh, you know like trying to cop fields and putting his hands you know in places he shouldn't have had his hands and trying to kiss on us and stuff and um I told on him um, and nothing happened. I was told that they confronted him and that he played deaf and dumb and that he said that uh, he couldn't hear good and that he would came in and he would just put his hands like under my shirt just so I could feel how cold his hands were. But I can tell you that his hands were not under my shirt, they weren't on my stomach. And I'll just leave that at that like that. Um, so, when I asked, why didn't he get in trouble for what he did to me? I was told that because his wife, uh, she had been institutionalized uh, when she went through menopause, and that if she had ever found that out, it would send her over the edge, and that they were worried. Family was worried about her and that they didn't want her to be institutionalized again. He never touched me again. But my young mind prioritized her mental health over my worth. And I was never going to be allowed to go anywhere, I was not going to be allowed to do normal things. I was not going to be dropped off at the mall to to hang out on Friday nights or to go shopping. I was not going to go to movies with friends. I I didn't have any. I wasn't allowed to have any. Once a blue moon was allowed to go to a skating rink. Um, And even that can bring back bad memories on the way there. Just the drive to get to the skating rink to be let out. But that was a rare occasion. And so um, I had zero social skills. I had never been exposed to anything. Um, There was no drinking in our house. Alcohol was never in my home as a child. And uh, there was no drugs in my home. Um, My mom smoked cigarettes when she was younger, but she had quit and... She would, she would say that she tried smoking, but they always made her sick. And she would throw up and have to brush her teeth. And, but I'm the oldest, and I remember a pack of Salem Slim Lights always laying around for years. So, I mean, I don't know how you try smoking and always throw up with every cigarette, and yet they're around for years. But um, that was always her story. And uh, she would take us to um, my middle sister's aunt's house when her, her dad and her got divorced. Uh, we'd go to her aunt's, his sister's house, and she would hang out there, and there'd be a couple guys there that she knew, and um, the, her kids, her, the aunt's kids were older. They were, like, in their early 20s and stuff, and we were told, me and my sister on the way there, my middle sister... That she would look at us in the rear view mirror and her eyes would be all squinted and she'd talk through her teeth and she would, you know, let us know that when we got there that we better sit on that couch and act like little ladies and that we better not be moving all around and that if anyone asked us, did we want anything, we were to say, no, thank you. And we would sit there for hours Now, this is in the 70s. We didn't have cable TV. They had them big box TVs that sat on the floor, like in a console thing. A console TV, I guess is what they were called. And there was like, um, I don't, I think we were watching westerns. You watched whatever came on that channel. And I remember I could have turned my head over my left shoulder and stretched a little bit and saw her sitting at a big round oval well, oval table in the dining room area there with everybody sitting around it with her and she would sit there and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and talk for hours and my sister and I were allowed to we'd have to say like can I use the bathroom and then it would be go back and get right back on that couch and sit until she was ready to leave and that's what we did and people would always compliment her and they would tell her your girls are so good. Your girls are so pretty. They're always dressed so nice. They're so clean. I wish I wish I was your daughter. I wish I was your kid. And she took a lot of pride in that. Um, a lot of pride in that. And she held on to that for her whole life. She, she, that pride was something she held on to. And... She would, I I think like, you know, the old saying, you know, how people don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Um, They didn't know the real her. She took a lot of pride in herself. I mean, she was beautiful. She had a great figure. She kept herself polished on the outside. On the outside, it looked like we were a wholesome family with values and morals. But behind closed doors, we were anything but. And that's where I'm going to end part two of my testimony. Um, and then part three, uh, you have to stay tuned. Because uh, I want to tell you it gets better, but it's not going to get better yet. Um, so stay tuned. If you enjoy today's show, please follow. I love hearing your feedback, so please interact and feel free to ask questions. And if you would like or feel led, you can support the show. Remember, in a world full of hate, love. In a world full of evil, be good. In a world full of lies, be honest. In a world that is blind, choose to see. Until next time, sending you love and prayers.